Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to see you. My name's Chris. For those of you who don't know me, or perhaps we've not met before, I'm the senior minister here at ABC, and it's a privilege to be leading us this morning in our thinking uh, about how we can do better at taking better care of this amazing world in which uh, we live. I want to say hi to you if you're joining us online as well today. It's great to have you with us. We can see you in the live chat. Please join in in that way as well. It's great to have you there with us too. When I was a kid, I remember still very vividly the first kind of proper thunderstorm that really scared me when I was a child. Uh, and it was a really big storm. And uh, my mum had gone out before it had all started, and I was in with my sister and my dad, and this huge storm blew up. And uh, my mum phoned to make sure we were all okay, and she said she was going to stay where she was, and she was going to come home uh, after the storm had finished. But me and my sister, I don't know how old we were, maybe five and seven or, or something like that, we were absolutely terrified at this storm. But we remembered in the midst of all this thunder and lightning that we'd read somewhere, or my dad had read somewhere, or somebody had read somewhere, that one of the biggest dangers in a thunderstorm was that lightning would come and strike those old TV aerials we used to have on top of our houses, and that it would come down the aerial kind of cable and then blow up the telly and set fire to the house. This was apparently one of the big dangers. And we'd read, or somebody had read somewhere, that the way to counteract that was to take take the aerial cable out of the back of the telly and put it in a crystal jug. Does anybody else remember this, or was this just our house that this happened in? Okay, there's one or two other kind people are saying they remember it. Thank you. So anyway, we decided, because we were so scared, my sister and I, we persuaded my dad that this is what we should do. So we went and got this crystal jug, which was like, I don't know how expensive it was or not, but it was an important family heirloom type crystal jug. And he put it in the living room and we unplugged the aerial cable and he put it in the crystal jug. Well, needless to say, the storm passed, although I have to say, like a whole garage was flooded out. It was like really serious amounts of rain and all that kind of stuff. And, but we weren't struck by lightning, so that didn't happen. And so the crystal jug was saved, but we forgot to put it back before my mum got home. And when my mum came home, she was absolutely furious. She said, that's my favorite crystal, I say favorite, it's our only crystal jug. Sounds like we were a family who had a whole load of crystal jugs, that was a favorite. This crystal jug, she said, I'd much rather the telly had blown up than my crystal jug had been shattered when this bolt of lightning allegedly hit the house and came down the aerial cable. But I don't know, as you grow up, uh, maybe some of us as we grow up, we get less scared of storms and actually more in awe of the power that is at work in a thunderstorm. It's an incredible thing, isn't it? We see those amazing images of um, lightning bolts striking the earth and all that kind of stuff, and we're in awe and we marvel at the power that is involved in a storm like that. Well, of course, as well as all the amazing power that is at work in the world around us, there is also incredible beauty and variety too, isn't there? Did you know, for example, that there are at least a thousand million, million, million stars in the sky? Did you know that a single cell of yeast has the same number of components in it as a Boeing 747 aircraft? A single cell of yeast. There's this incredible variety all around us in the world. Did you know that no two zebras have the same exact stripe pattern 
Isn't that amazing when you think about all the zebras that there are in the world? Did you know that a woodpecker can peck 20 times a second? Did you know that the typical bed usually houses 6 billion dust mites? Think of that when you go to bed. That's a free gift from me to you this morning. Think of that when you go to bed this evening. Did you know that a female lion does 90% of the hunting while the male prefers to rest? Not going to make any comment about that at all. Did you know that a giraffe can clean its own ears with its 21-inch tongue? Did you know that an ostrich's eye is bigger than its brain? Did you know that ants don't sleep? There's this amazing creativity in the world around us. It's utterly extraordinary. And I think that the odds of it being an accident are infinitesimally small. Did you know that scientists have estimated, some scientists have estimated, that the probability of the chance creation of one single molecule is 1 in 10 to the power of 243. That's 1 in 10 with 243 zeros after it. That number is so huge, it's bigger than there are particles in the universe. And that's just one molecule. The forces of gravity in our universe, if they were changed by one part in 10,000 billion, 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 the effects would be absolutely catastrophic. Stars like the sun couldn't exist, so life couldn't exist. Planets couldn't form. And if life had been able to exist, human beings would be crushed beneath the weight of the gravity. And there are loads of other examples of these minutely fine-tuned constants that make it just right for life to exist on our planet. And it's not just our universe that's so complex. We are complex too. There are 10,000 million million cells in your body. 50,000 of them will die and be, will re be replaced with new cells all while you're listening to just this one sentence. The human eye is made up of 40 different interrelated subsystems including the retina, the pupil, the iris, the optic nerve, and the lens. The retina alone has 137 million special cells, and together they capture and interpret up to 1.5 million pulse messages a millisecond. It would take dozens of Cray supercomputers to get even close to that amount of processing power, and you are doing that all the time. How do we make sense of all of that? Human beings have wrestled with that question for as long as there has been human beings. How do we make sense of all of that? How does this happen? How does this world and this universe come to be? And that's before we even think about the more philosophical questions of why are we here? People have been asking those sorts of questions for as long as there have been people. Because for so many people, over so many thousands of years, it just seems highly unlikely that all of this happens by chance. It seems almost unbelievable that this universe, this planet of ours, us human beings that inhabit this amazing planet, could all somehow have come together by a fate of random chance. You know, one of the ways we could make sense of it is by concluding that we aren't here by chance. 
that there is a plan and a purpose to it all. There is an intelligent designer behind all of this. And for much of human history, that has been the predominant view, that there is a designer behind all of this. Now, all of us have these kinds of questions. How has this come to be? Why are we here? How does this happen? All of us have these kind of questions. Whether we would call ourselves Christians or not, we've all got those kinds of questions going on inside of us, in our minds, I think. And as Christians, those of us who are Christians, we have chosen to answer that and answer those questions by saying we believe there is a God, there is a designer behind all of this. And if you're not a Christian, if you're exploring faith, then I really hope this morning will be an eye-opener to you of what it is that Christians think about how this whole thing came to be. But more importantly than even all of that, what our responsibilities are when it comes to this amazing world in which we live. And that's what we're going to explore together today. So if you're a Christian, you're going to be challenged, and I hope inspired once again by the fundamental beliefs of the Christian faith around all of this. If you're not a Christian, then I hope you're going to see where it is we're coming from. And I hope that'll be helpful to you in your faith journey and your exploration. Now, the very first thing we are told about God in the story of God, in the scriptures, we are told that God is a mighty God who creates things. And this account of how the world came to be was written 3,000 or so years ago by a guy called Moses. And it's designed not really to be a science manual for exactly how all of this came to happen, but more it's, it's written to tell us who was behind all of this and how did all of this come to be in terms of why it came to be and who was involved in it coming to be. And it's written for us in the very first book of the Bible called Genesis, which literally means the beginning, the beginning of everything. And this is what we're told uh, by Moses as he reflects on how this world came to be. He says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And I just want to pause here and reflect on a couple of things. Moses wrote this in uh, the old language, ancient language of Hebrew. And the word that he picks out, that we translate God here, was actually a title word. And the title word he used was Elohim, which means mighty or powerful, the mighty or powerful one. That's what it literally means. So the very first thing we are told about God in the story of God is that God is a mighty and powerful one. God is a God of power and of might. And I guess when we see a storm, that reminds us of that. God is a God of power and of might. And I think that makes sense. Even if you're not a person of faith, I think you'd have to say, well, that makes sense. If there is a God behind all of this, if God did create uh, the universe and everything in it, that would mean that that God was powerful and mighty. That would make sense to us. So the first thing we're told about God is that God is powerful and mighty. But the next thing we're told about God is what God does. And the first thing we are told about what God does is that God creates I love this. The very first thing that we are told that God does is to create. God is powerful and mighty, but he uses that power and might to create. You know, sometimes we, I think all of us, 
Forget that God is a God of power and might, a creator God. Sometimes I think we just try to condense God or shrink God down into something that we can get our heads around or that we can understand or maybe that we can hold in our hands. We try to condense God maybe into a little statue that we can put on a shelf or some kind of symbol or image of, or, or picture that we can put on our wall. We shrink God down because we want to make God more manageable. We want to make God actually less than he really is into something that we can actually get our heads around because we don't like to live with the mystery and the uncertainty of a God who is way bigger than we can get our minds or our brains around. Sometimes in religious circles, in Christian circles, we try to put God into a little box or into a little building that we call a church with a steeple and a stained glass window. And we try to say, that's where God is. That's where God's alive. That's where God's active. And we shrink him down so we don't have to contend with sometimes the mystery of the bigness and the majesty and the might and the authority of God, and that God cannot and will not be shrunk into a little box, that God is at work everywhere. But we want to shrink him down because we don't want to deal with his greatness and his grace at every and every point in our lives. But to do that, if we run into that trap, then we miss out. To do that is actually almost to deny that God really exists. And we're not the first people to have fallen into that trap. One time, uh, a group of people who uh, later on in the story of God, God kind of ordains to be like his witnesses to the world. A group of people called the people of Israel. They were uh, finding themselves living amongst a pagan people who were far from God, who worshipped pagan gods. The people they were living among were controlled by superstition and myth. They worshipped idols made from trees, and they would craft uh, idols out of wood, little stick gods, or sometimes if they were wealthy, they made them out of silver or gold or chiseled them out of stone, these little stick gods. And the people of Israel, because they were uh, living amongst these people, they were scared and afraid to challenge them, to tell them that these little stick gods weren't the one true God that they knew about. These little stick gods weren't worthy of their worship and the investment of their lives. They, They were too scared to tell them that they were shrinking God down to something that was missing out on who God really was and who God really is. So God called up a prophet a guy called Jeremiah, and he said, I want you to speak to my people, and I want you to tell them that they need not to be afraid and to speak into this culture in which they find themselves. And so God gave Jeremiah words to say. And you can find those words in Jeremiah chapter 10 in the Old Testament part of the Bible, but I'm just going to paraphrase them for you now using a paraphrased version of the Bible called uh, The Message. And this is what God says to Jeremiah. He says, tell them, that's the people of Israel and the people amongst who they're living. He says, tell them this, the stick gods, these little idols, 
the stick gods that you use to shrink God down to size, who made nothing, neither sky nor earth, they will come to nothing on the earth and under the sky. But it is God whose power made the earth, whose wisdom gave shape to the world, who crafted the cosmos. He thunders and rain pours down. He sends clouds soaring. He embellishes the storm with lightning and launches wind from his warehouse. Saying, don't you dare shrink God down to the size of a stick thing you can hold in your hand. Because that stick thing, that's not a creator. It's not one full of power or might. Don't shrink God down to what you think is a manageable size. He is the God of all creation. He is the God of power and might. The heavens declare his glory. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Don't shrink God down. God is the creator. God is a God of power and might. And then we're going to skip forward a little bit more in this story in Genesis chapter 1. We're going to skip forward to the bit where God creates human beings. And this is what we're told about that moment. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So God makes human beings, but he creates them in his own image. This is so important. This is so significant. We're told that God creates human beings in his image. We, you and I, every human being that has ever lived, carries the image of our divine creator. How amazing is that? In the uh, culture that this account was written into some 3,000 years ago, this idea of image was really significant and really important because an image was believed to carry the essence of what the image represented. So again, just try and get our heads around that. The image of something represents that thing. So human beings, when this imagery language is used here, this is not by accident. We're being told that human beings are a representative of God because they carry the image of God. They are representative of God's presence here on earth. Again, extraordinary. This means that human beings have the capacity in some way to mirror divine attributes and to grow in our ability to do that. A guy called John Walton, who uh, has written a commentary on this part of the book of Genesis, he says this about the divine image. He says, the image is a physical manifestation of divine essence. The image is a physical manifestation of divine essence that bears the function of that which it represents. This gives the image bearer the capacity to reflect the attributes of the one represented and to act on his behalf. That's a posh way of saying the image bearer acts and can act as a representative of the one whose image they bear. And that means that human beings have the responsibility of bearing out the image of God, of being representatives of the image of God on earth. And actually, as we're about to discover, the story goes on and we find out what that responsibility is. 
says this, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Here now we're getting unpacked for us what this responsibility is, what it means to be the representative of the image of God. And it starts with a blessing. God blessed them. God blesses human beings. The very first thing that God does after creating human beings is to bless them. God wants to bless us. He wants to bless you. But God's blessing is more than just a warm, fuzzy feeling inside. God's blessing has a purpose. You know, around the church world, we often talk about being blessed by God, or we pray for people to be blessed by God, or when we're talking to somebody, particularly if they're going through a difficult time, we say, oh, bless you. May God bless you in that. We mustn't understand, misunderstand what it means to be blessed by God. It isn't a warm, fuzzy feeling. It doesn't mean we don't have to do anything. Part of God's blessing is to give us a purpose. And he does that here. When he blesses human beings, he goes on to say, and part of my blessing is for you to have a purpose. And here's what the purpose is. And the purpose is to take responsibility over everything that God has created. And he spells out for us what that responsibility means. It's about being fruitful subduing the earth and ruling over it. And it's really, really important that we understand what that means because I think Christians have misunderstood what this has meant over many, many years. We mustn't misunderstand what this means. Let's go through it. Being fruitful. Human beings are designed for growth, to be productive, to add value, to blossom and bear fruit. And in the same way that fruit feeds the hungry and quenches the thirsty, so our fruitfulness is not to be measured by material possessions or fame or money, but by the blessing we bring to others, the kindness that we show, the love that we demonstrate. That's fruitfulness. And then God says that this blessing is to be outworked by way of fruitfulness, but also by way of our ruling and subduing of the earth that God has given to us. And it's vital that we understand what ruling and subduing means. And the best way to understand that is to understand it in the context of understanding that we are made in the image of God. That's why it's so important. Ruling and subduing are activities enabled by God when he makes us in his image. We rule and subdue with authority just as God rules over us. And God's rule over us is one of blessing, of grace, of mercy, of love and care and justice. That's God's authority over us. So we, when we reflect the image of God when it comes to ruling and subduing, that must be manifested by love and mercy and compassion, and justice, and care. By ruling in that way, we fulfill our purpose in reflecting the image of God in the world. Ruling and subduing in this way has nothing to do with taking and pillaging, nothing to do with destroying and stripping with no regard for the consequences. It has nothing to do with one group of people being able to have the main access to all the resources of our planet and get rich off it 
at the expense of another group of people who get poor. It's got nothing to do with ruling and subduing the people who are created in the image of God. Human beings are created by God as the very pinnacle of his creation. We're being blessed by God. But that blessing comes with a purpose and a responsibility to rule over his creation. And that must mean taking care of this amazing world in which we live. It must mean stewarding its resources wisely and well. And of course, we each have a responsibility here, not out of guilt or fear, but in response to the amazing gift that God has given to us. And God has given us this world as a gift. And we should make sure that we take care of it. God is the creator, the mighty and powerful creator. And we are the very pinnacle of God's creation. And we are made in the image of God. And as such, we are challenged by God and blessed by God to take care of this amazing world. But the truth is, all of creation is groaning. All of creation is groaning. Because creation was given to us, this world was given to us as a gift, but because we human beings have turned our backs so often on God and messed up and turned to our own ways rather than God's ways, then all of creation is fallen. All of creation is groaning. The created world is not perfect. And just as we fall short as human beings of a perfect God and God's perfect plan, so too creation falls short of God's perfect plan. One of Jesus' first followers, a guy called Paul, tells us that all creation is groaning and creaking and that it needs to be redeemed, just as we human beings need to be redeemed because we have so often fallen short. Just as we need to be set free, creation needs to be set free. One day, God will redeem all of creation, and there will be no more crying and no more pain and no more natural disasters. But in the meantime, we are to be part of God's redemption plan and God's redemption work. We are to be a part of all that God longs to do to set our world free. But what does all of that mean? Well, it means that we have a responsibility to partner with God to redeem creation, to take care of it, to take care of the planet. And all this week, many of you on our social media challenge have been responding with ways and ideas we can play our small part to take better care of this amazing world in which we live. And I'm not going to go through all of them now, but go on if you haven't had the chance to go on and check out our Facebook group, and if you're not a part of it yet, go to ABC Online Community and ask to join. There are loads of ideas there about how we can play our part. And we need to do just that. It's too easy, as so many of us have done over so many years, and I include myself in this, to conclude that there is nothing that we can do, that it's governments and nations who need to change. Well, that is, of course, true. And we should be asking questions of our governments and our leaders about what they're doing in this regard. But to simply argue that and not do anything else ourselves is to disregard our God-given responsibility to take care of this planet. We need to be sorry for where we have done that and recommit ourselves to taking as much responsibility as we can 
for our part of the world in which we live. This amazing planet that God has given to us, that God has created, and to respond to God's desire to bless us with a purpose and a plan, to be a part of his purposes and plans for our world. Let's pray together, shall we? Heavenly Father, we start with a sorry. Sorry for where we haven't done all that we should. Sorry for where we have maybe abdicated our responsibilities or not really understood what it fully means to rule and subdue and be fruitful in the way that you would have us do that. We thank you that you're a God of forgiveness and we receive your forgiveness again once more. But we pray and ask, Heavenly Father, that you would show us and lead us in ways that we can take better care of this amazing world that you have given to us. Help us to play our part, to take our responsibility seriously. Thank you that we are created in your image. Thank you that we are created with a purpose. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your imprint upon each and every one of us. Help us to live out what it means to be fully human, to be fully created in your divine image. Help us to live out the purposes that you have for us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.